Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. At this time, I want to call up someone that I consider a brother, a partner, and a friend, Jeff McBride. Would you uh, join me up here? Um, Jeff is uh, one of the reasons that we have been here for 10 years consistently, and uh, in talking with uh, other pastors, in talking with other leaders of churches, uh, just the level of partnership uh, that we have received from Jeff and the YMCA has been phenomenal. Um, and uh, Jeff, I know, has big plans. He's a big dreamer. Um, and I often leave his presence feeling like I can take on the world. You know? um, and uh, I just asked Jeff those similar questions. What has Mercy Commons meant to the YMCA? And what is your prayer for Mercy Commons? Well, before I, I go there, I, I, you might leave our time together thinking you can take on the world. I, I, leave, <clears throat> I leave our time together realizing that I can't and I need God more. Um, and I, I thank you for that. It's, um, this partnership has been a dream and for me the word is hope. I've, I mean, I've thought about it a lot since you've asked about this and what, a, what an amazing um, achievement for you all. I, I thought a lot about it and, the, and for me, you guys give me hope. Um, the behind the scenes, when I started this journey, I, I committed the why to the Lord and, and, and wanted to bring Christ back into my organization and let my people know who Jesus is. Um, and so we, we start these processes and, and we, we worked with over 100 churches trying to find who would like to go into the community. We will provide resources for you to do it to introduce people to Jesus. One. One. I, I, my, one of my very dear friends, Mike Proud, who has moved to, to um, Colorado, had connections with 135 churches, and he came in my office one day, sat down, and said, I don't get it. <laughs> the difference was we just needed to find someone who had the same passion. That knew what is needed out there and in these walls, we fall so far short and people need to know Jesus to turn their life around and understand what it's all about and bring meaning and purpose and forgiveness and redemption. So you guys selected us and we have a term now because of you, we date those that wanna date us. And you're the, you're the only one we date. My, but we're so grateful that you're gorgeous. Um, so, so you have provided me hope we know this can, can work. And you're providing a model well outside of these walls. And I know someone said they want a building, and I totally appreciate that. I'm so grateful you're in our building. Um, you know, people like staff who can come and work with staff that are under my stewardship and introduce them to a new way of life and a new hope and a new savior is what it's all about. And so we're so excited about that. And if we could continue to replicate that throughout to give our thousand plus people a chance to know him, that's what it's all about. Um, we do have some amazing things coming behind the scenes in the next two or three years that will change the why forever in a, uh, in a magnitude I, I can hardly even understand. It's completely God and I didn't know it a year ago. 
but he's brought resources and people into my life that will change us dramatically, including, I believe, this building. Um, and, if, and if and when we do things with this building, this church will be first in mind. So I don't know if that holds sway. Nick knows that, but I don't know if that holds sway with you guys. But, but I love and covet this partnership, whether you're here or someone else. The why, and certainly I, will always stand with you and support you and do whatever we can. I, I see amazing things. The heart that you display is Jesus' heart. And it's amazing. I, I come into several churches. I come in here, and it's, just, it's crazy. I, I haven't even told my wife this. I just feel at home. I feel at home. It's, um, it's, we have a, an amazing church in, in Mission Viejo, but you walk in here, the Spirit of God is here. And I can't thank you enough for that and the encouragement that provides. And I look forward to a partnership wherever this takes us in the years to come. And I congratulate you on all you've done. Um, I've told you guys this before, I've told Jeff this, our, our partnership with the YMCA is not one of convenience, it's one of conviction. And uh, just to have a brother like Jeff just mirror that in terms of that is phenomenal. It's been quite a journey on March 10th, uh, the 2013, um, we had our first vision and prayer meeting in Lemon Park. Um, and coincidentally, um, the YMCA has taken over Lemon Park as one of its community centers. And coincidentally, we are hosting a VBS there next year. Well, this year, actually 2024. Um, coincidentally, of course, you know. Uh, from April 2013 till August, we had those monthly pre-meetings uh, in the Maple Center in Lemon Park. And then we started in September 2013 to meet in the evenings at Laguna Road Primary. And for those of you who remember the debacle of the final meeting, um, yeah, that's right. We arrived there, this was our final meeting, and we were going to then launch the next week um, in the YMCA, and we were locked out of Laguna Road Elementary. Not only were we locked out, uh, but we had probably the lowest amount of people there, probably about 20 of us, maybe Jason, maybe 20 of us. And uh, Rob Frampton was plucking away on his guitar, and we just met outside in the cold. And I left, and I said to Neil, that was pretty good. We had three months. It was a good run. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I wonder what we're going to do now. And he's like, no, bro, God's in this. Ten years later, God has been incredibly faithful. And uh, 2018, we decided to walk towards uh, a journey of what autonomy would look like, because we were originally planted as an expression of Southlands. In September 2019, we became Mercy Commons. And then just as we were hitting our stride in September 19, something happened in 2020, you know. And uh, for the next two years, God held us. We experienced loss and pain and shaking, and yet we also tasted of the overwhelming grace of God. Um, and in 2024, my prayer is that we walk in continued prophetic continuity in terms of what God has called us to. On Friday, um, we thanked some leaders and uh, we recognized people. And today's about recognizing and thanking Jesus, but it's also both biblical and important uh, to thank and to honor those 
where honor is due. And so to the leaders uh, that came with us, uh, that planted Mercy Commons, that have established and have guarded our culture, I want to thank you. For those of you that have joined Mercy Commons since and have continued to amplify that culture, I want to thank you. And for Mercy Commons in general, I want to take what Paul said to the churches that he prayed for. To Mercy Commons, established and founded in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. I give thanks to God for you always, constantly mentioning you in my prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank my God on every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy for your fellowship and partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way of you because I have you in my heart. Mercy Commons, you are not consumers of spiritual products or programs, but you are joyful activators of a covenantal counter-cultural family, and for that I'm deeply grateful. I've been asked, what is your dream for Mercy Commons in the next 10 years? My question actually is, what is God's dream and am I being faithful to that? And one of the ways that we connect with that is by following God's prophetic continuity. And so my dream is to live in the reality of the way in which we were planted, what we say about ourselves, that we want to be a multiplying church for the glory of God and for the joy of Fullerton and the renewal of the world. And most of you know that we were not planted in a vacuum. We know that we were planted in response to a prophetic word that was given to Jesse over 30 years ago uh, that was in many ways fulfilled through Chris and Merrill, who are here this morning. Thank you for being with us. During, during Chris's watch as the leader of Southlands, there were 12 churches planted in 14 years. Um, when Alan took over the church, we, we paused that and said, okay, God, what does it look like for us to win home and away games? And Fullerton was the first of kind of a new generation of planting through Southlands. Our joy is to be part of what is a multi-generational history of planting churches, to multiply points of light in the Southlands. This is our heritage. This is our future. This is not my dream. This isn't even our dream. This is his commission to us. God has sent us to extend to others the same mercy that we have received. He has called us to create a commons where mercy is freely offered and extend that beyond Fullerton. And because we come from a rich heritage of church planting churches, it is our intention to continue that legacy by partnering with God as we raise up leaders to see more communities of mercy planted, not only within the Southlands, but throughout the world. Easy, right? What do we need to do that? Well, the first and most important thing that we need is we need a clear and compelling vision of Jesus. That is what will sustain us, the author and perfecter of our faith. That more than anything, more than a cool mission statement, more than a memorable kind of vision, is a vision of Jesus that not only spurs us onto the future, but sustains us in times of failure and in times of trial. If we know who God is, then we know who we are, 
if we know who God is and we know who we are, then what we do flows naturally out of that. And so we have to start with who God is. And so I remember a time where, where Moses was coming to God and he had received the law and he was coming down to say that I've met with God on the mountain and people had fashioned out of their earrings a golden calf and they'd held us up and they'd said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And Moses was more than a little miffed and, and that time. And a, and a plague hit the Israelites and thousands of people died. And in that, Moses, in that time, Moses is having this crisis of faith. God, I, I don't understand the power of what you've called me to, but I, I'm failing to see the reality of this. It's really hard for me to see of what you said and how you're going to accomplish this. And he says, all I want to do is I want to be able to see your face. And God said, well, you can't see me because then you would die. But I'm going to pass in front of you. You're going to see, in a sense, the edge of my garment. It's kind of an echo from Job. You're going to see the, 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 the kind of edge of my garment, and I'm going to self-declare who I am. And God self-declares who he is in Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. He keeps his mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty. He visits the iniquity of the fathers upon their children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. The very first word that God uses to describe himself is a merciful God. Now I want you to understand how weird this is to be the Israelites and to have thousands of people perish through disobedience and the first thing that God chooses to say of himself is that he is a merciful God. Because in the culture in which we live, the idea of a God that is deeply loving and merciful and yet does not wink at sin is something that we find incredibly difficult to comprehend. And the thing that we need to be able to connect the dots of a God that is merciful, but a God that will judge sin is God himself walking on this earth in the form of Jesus and becoming that sacrifice. When, when God says that the iniquity of the fathers will be visited on their children, what we think about is that if the father sinned, that the son will carry the burden of that. But what God has in mind is that the iniquity of the father, because the father sinned, that the child will pay for it, that God in his son would pay for the iniquity that we we're guilty of. The picture of the gospel is the kindness of God that causes him to show mercy and extend grace to thousands, but his purity and holiness needs to be recognized, and sin cannot be undealt with. In Matthew 27, verse 25, this is where people are responding to Pilate's question, do you want me to release Barabbas, or do you want me to release Jesus and they say, release Barabbas, crucify him. And then he washes his hands and he says, I don't want the blood of this man to be on my hands. And the crowd says, let his blood be on us and on our children. And what they were saying was, we are going to be responsible for his death. And they didn't know the prophetic uh, emphasis of that statement that ultimately it would be the blood of Jesus on us the children of those that shouted Barabbas, free Barabbas, shouted crucify him, that would bring our freedom from a merciful God 
that still needs to deal with the problem of sin. Who we are is a direct outcome of what God has done. And I make no apology for repeating this, uh, because even Peter in his letter says, I make no apology for repeating this, because you are slow to understand, not you. He's talking to his writers. If you want to take that though, it's, you know. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9, he says, but you, and this is one of the core foundational texts that Mercy Commons was planted out of, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar, special, prized people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles or even aliens to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. And that's, that, that scripture is where we get the four pillars of mercy comes from. It's because we've been rescued by his mercy that we are those that revel in the mercies of God. It's because that we live as a family that we display and demonstrate the mercy of God. It's because we've been called as heralds of the kingdom of God that we proclaim the mercies of God. And because we want to live in a way that's for the common good and the joy of Fullerton, we participate in acts of mercy for the common good of those around us. Ultimately, and most profoundly, we are a people that have been rescued by his mercy. And as someone said in the video, mercy has triumphed over judgment. It, and that means that it's not that judgment is now this, this bad thing and mercy is this good thing. It is because God was merciful that we are judged cleansed because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That the judgment that we deserved has been placed upon Jesus. We no longer have to fear judgment because our sin has been purged. And as I said, God self-describes himself as someone that is scandalously loving, but equally doesn't wink at sin. Why? Because he knows the damage and danger that sin is to us. And most of us think the idea of sin is because God doesn't wants us to act in a robotic way um, and, and uh, wants, us to prevent, wants to prevent us from having fun. No, because God created us, he knows what human flourishing is and he knows what those boundaries are and that's why he wants us to stay within those boundaries and he knows that we stray and because of his great love, mercy and loving kindness, he's provided a way for us to return to him. The thing that is so profound about God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness is that it isn't just accidental sin that God's mercy covers. God's mercy covers premeditated malicious sin. That's how powerful God's mercy is. I'll give you an example. I won't tell you which one of my daughters this is. You'll probably figure it out. But she used to run away. And um, yeah, everyone's like, oh, we know who that is. And, and there was a sense in which she didn't know what she was doing. She didn't plan this. She didn't think to herself, okay, I'm going to cause major drama for my parents. She would just run away. And one time we were having a life group at um, Priscilla's house. And we went down the road to the taqueria and we were having some, some tacos. And she said to me, hey, dad, um, when are we going to have dessert? Because we brought dessert. 
And we said, well, we're going to have dessert when we go to Priscilla's house. And so she said, okay. And I turned around, and she left. And she walked to Priscilla's house. We didn't know this until we all started looking for her in that little taqueria, and we didn't know, and someone had the bright idea to start looking for her, and we found her there. And we were deeply, deeply grateful that she was there. We also needed to give some boundaries in terms of how not to do that in the future, right? That's, that's sin where we stray outside, where we don't mean to stray, but we stray. That's when we are overtaken by sin. With the same child, though, um, we had a, a way of disciplining where we would flick her hand if she needed, if she was touching something she shouldn't touch. And so I said to her, she, she would switch the TV on, switch it off, switch it on, switch it off, switch it on, switch it off. So I said to her, baby. So she, she looks at me, she looks at the TV, she looks at me and she goes like this, gives me her hand and she pushes the TV on and off. That is, uh, that is Karen right there, right? No, no, that's me. We've been rescued by a mercy so powerful that even in our low points, when we set out premeditated sin, when we recognize our failure and come to him and say, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. His mercy covers over us. We've been translated from darkness to light. And the privilege of that is we're no longer groping in darkness to find our own way. The privilege of that is that we have been made light. Not only are we not in darkness anymore, but God has made us the light of the world. That through us, people are able to see something of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We've moved from insignificance to a new identity, and that's what we all want. We all want significance. In, in each of our own different ways, we want to experience significance. And Peter says, once you were not a people, now you are a chosen race, a holy nation, his own special possession, his own special treasure. What identifies us is not what we look like, it's not our race, it's not our age, it's who our dad is. That's what identifies us. What gives us purpose is not our special set of skills. What gives us purpose is what his purpose is for us. And so we're part of this new identity, this new family, this royal priesthood that speaks of purpose because we are servants, we are ministers, we are bridge builders. We fulfill a purpose not to get God to love us, but we fulfill a purpose because God so loved us. And because of his mercy and his affection that has rained down on us, because we are no longer darkness, because we, were now, we weren't a people, now we have received mercy, we want others to taste of that. Had Saxon not continually invited one, one wouldn't have come to this place. Now I know, and I've, I've chatted with one, even in his practice, that he is a light to those who dwell in darkness. And that is what it means to be a multiplication of light in the Southland. We are a people that display or demonstrate his mercy by the way that we live as a family. Almost every Sunday I say, go out there and be the church. And that's what that means. It means to actually model what it looks like to be in a family and in community. And I know family is a complicated word for a lot of us. But we display a mercy 
that is both common in its accessibility and uncommon in its value and power. That's what we're doing when we live as family. Our public behavior needs to be able to contradict the caricatures of Christianity, of, of the caricatures that people have in their minds about what a Christian is like. Because there's something compelling about a group of people that are choosing to live for the benefit of others. There is something that draws people. The way in which we spend our money, the way in which we, we love one another, the, the stories, being one of the leaders in this community, I have the privilege of getting phone calls from someone saying, hey, God has blessed us financially. Is there someone in the church that is going through a difficult time that we can bless and we want to do this anonymously? People helping others move, people um, being engaged in foster care support teams. All of these things are a way in which we display the mercies of God and live as a family on mission. Now, we are also sojourners and aliens. Um, about two years ago, I was in South Africa preaching, and um, we went for lunch afterwards, and the lady said to me, um, so where are you from? And I said to her, well, I live in the States, but I grew up in South Africa. She says, you did? You don't sound South African at all. <laughs> now, those of you that don't know, there are degrees of accent, right? <laughs> Just like y'all go down south, y'all will hear a different accent, you know? Bye now, you know? I don't mean to offend anyone, but that is the only American accent I can do, and I don't know why that is the only one I can do. The problem is, like, I was there, and I thought, wow, I don't fit in here. And then I come here, and especially when I'm in tourist spots, people say, so where are you from? And I just don't feel like going through the whole thing. And then I just say Fullerton, which confuses them even more, you know. But I sat there thinking to myself, wow, this whole idea of not fitting in anywhere is actually something that God has kind of pre-built in all of us. In the Psalms, he says, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. But there's a sense in which we are always those that don't fit in. And I remember someone saying to me after COVID, he was saying to me, hey, let me tell you, the, the churches that are growing are churches that are picking a lane. You've got to pick a lane, and you've got to, you've got to pick left, you've got to pick right. Um, but it's going to be really difficult for you to try and straddle the middle. I said to him, I'm not trying to straddle the middle. I'm trying to be biblical, biblically faithful. Because I know that on one side, people are going to be offended because we hold this belief. And on the other side, people are going to be offended but the joy that I take of that is that Jesus didn't seem to be, you know, anyone's hero in terms of the way in which he lived. And so we will be consistently, until Jesus returns, aliens and sojourners. Why? Be because we are citizens of heaven. And what do we do? We build a colony of heaven on earth. And what we represent as we gather together, not only on a Sunday morning, but in our life groups, and more importantly, as we are shaped as a community to be those 
that are actually in our vocation doing what God has called us to do. And it was such a joy to have Jeff launch our Guarded Work series with the reality of what it means to be aliens, sojourners, displaying the mercies of God in our work, is that we have the privilege of doing that. We are a people that proclaim his mercy. And part of effective proclamation in the world in which we live is effective listening. It sounds a little counterculture, but I remember sitting in a, in a coffee shop and I was listening to some younger girls talk at each other. And I thought to myself, not a single one of them is listening to the other one. Not a single one of them is, is actually hearing what that person is saying, taking it in and responding to that person. They all are just waiting for their chance to speak. And I was challenged. I wasn't like, ooh, that's bad. I thought to myself, I wonder how often I do that. And even when I'm meeting someone that's asking questions about faith, that's asking questions about spirituality, where my mind is racing, like where do I find the answer to that question? And part of effective proclamation is actually, actually listening to that person because being listened to is being loved. We, we don't need to agree with what that person is saying. But that person needs to leave knowing that they were heard by us. Because Jesus did not agree with everything that he saw, but everyone that left Jesus felt heard and seen. And so part of effective proclamation is we are those that proclaim the mercies of God is that we're effective listeners, but we do need to open our mouths. It isn't just the demonstration of the mercies of God. It isn't just the participation of acts of mercy. It's also the proclamation of the mercies of God. We need to know what we believe. We need to have the courage to say those things. We need to be praying for supernatural outcomes because our faith is not simply a philosophical or intellectual debate. It is a spiritual battle when we meet someone um, that is clouded in pain and in darkness and that we want to bring light. It is, it's not like a battle, church. It is a battle. And we need to be aware of that as we proclaim the mercies of him who called us out of darkness. I think too often we can tend to be unmerciful and judgmental in the way in which we speak. Or we can just go on the other side of the you be you ideology. Whatever works for you. Neither of those is loving. And finally, we're a people that engage the world with mercy. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they see your good deeds and glorify God, they will glorify God. Ultimately, the reason that we participate in acts of mercy for the common good, well, the main reason is because God has called us to do that. But the other reason is when you join it with the way in which we display and demonstrate the mercies of God by the choices we make in terms of the way in which we live, we are participating in acts of mercy for the common good of the city in which God has called us to. Ultimately, what we want to do is we want to be a people that say, we love this city. We love this world. What's important to you is important to us. We want to be able to serve this city. And so we want to be able to participate in those acts. I want to be able to be an instrument for the common good of the city and not just my tribal issue. 
Not just an issue that is important to me because I happen to be a churchgoer, but an issue that is important to this community. And we've said this before within the context of acts of mercy and justice, and we're doing this within the context of our life groups. We can't do everything, but everyone can do something. And so what we're calling each one of us to is a lifestyle of being activated, of participating in acts of mercy for the common good and for the joy of our city. And we, we do that. I mean, I, I want to I commend you for those of you that are participating in acts of mercy, common for the common good, for, for foster care, for being part of support teams, for being involved in um, educational inequality. Well, I mean, not causing it, but helping it, you know. <laughs> it's also like, you know, when they say, you know, I'm, never mind. Move on, Nick. Ultimately, our good work should be designed to be provocative, just like our lives should be designed to be provocative. Why do you respond in this way? Why do you spend your money and time in this way? Why is this important to you and that import, that's important? Because in, in the divided culture in which we live, I don't know that you can both love women and want to empower them and then at the same time be for the unborn. I don't know how you can marry the two. Well, let me explain to you how I can marry the two. Mercy Commons, we can be a community of praise in a world of doubt and pessimism. We can be a community of truth in a pluralistic age that calls itself relative and post-Christian. We can be a selfless community in a culture that is aggressively individualistic. We can be a community of mutual responsibility where everyone prays, plays, and pays. And ultimately, we can be a community of hope in a world of pessimism and despair. In other words, we can revel, proclaim, demonstrate, and participate in the mercies of God. So what do I know for sure that God has said to this community? I know for sure that he's called us to be a multiplying church that revels, proclaims, demonstrates, and participates in the mercies of God. I also know that God has called us to be stewards of his presence and of his truth. And that's why we continue to be a community that wants to create a context for encounter. So when we gather here to worship, it isn't just a warm-up for the sermon. Because God speaks to us and through us through worship. That's why we do that. Ultimately, we do that because he's worthy of our worship. But it's in those times where the body connects and we get to hear from and be encouraged by others in the body. We are also not just stewards of his presence in terms of the spirit, but stewards of truth in terms of preaching the unalterated word of God. I also know that he's called us to make healthy disciples that are willing and able to respond to a door of opportunity. I don't know that it's so much my role to be able to define clearly what the door of opportunity is as much as it is to prepare us when that door of opportunity opens so that we are healthy, responsive, active, and able to walk through that door. But Nick, that's a bit of a cop-out. I've had many people ask me, well, what do you see for the next... 10 years, I was sitting on my deck and I was looking at my smoker and I was thinking about ribs. <laughs> and one of my favorite ways of making ribs is the 3-2-1 method. 
Anyone out there know what that is? Okay, a few of you, yeah. That's right. Solidarity. Um, So for three hours, you smoke the ribs, then you wrap them, then you take them out again, and then you baste them, and it gets a nice little crisp. All of you, mouths watering, except for your vegetarians, poor people. Um, I felt like God speak to me in that moment. It's the three, two, one method. I felt him speak to me in the moment. He said, what, what could you trust me for in the next 10 years? Could you trust me to plant three churches? Could you trust me to establish two buildings? Could you trust me to see 1,000 people come to faith? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> three churches planted, two buildings established, 1,000 people coming to faith. You know how I know that maybe that was the whisper of God? That is terrifying. Terrifying. Because when, it, when I think about it and I, I look at that, it's like it's, it's not a perfect strategic plan. In fact, there's nothing strategic about it. But if we are to put our faith and effort into three church plants into two buildings established. And those three church plants could be in, in an unchurched area, in a de-churched area. I, I don't know. It could, be, it could be in LA. It could be in Nepal. It could be wherever it is. Those two buildings could be one here, could be one across. It might not even be a building for us. But ultimately, to see 1,000 people bound their knee to Jesus and to become part of this family. That's the thing that was exciting for me. Those are the things or tools to accomplish that. I said to God, okay, well, what, if we're to see this become a reality, what will we need? And the first thing that I've mentioned, a clear and compelling vision of Jesus. He is the reason and the means through which this will be accomplished. But we also need a larger and skilled leadership team. We need a determined focus on our children. Kiana was 12 when we planted. She's 22. See some photos of your kids. See some photos of pregnant moms up there. I mean, think about that in 10 years' time. They're not going to be children. We need a, a, a spirit-led partnership in this city, in this country, and beyond, more than what we've seen, more than the kindness that God has shown us in terms of the YMCA, more than the comfort of being part of a planting and strengthening network. We're not just limited to those things. Uh, when Paul saw multiplication of the gospel, he saw it through many different doors of opportunities, and we need to be open to that. And ultimately, and this sounds weird, an aggressive pursuit of a dependence on. Stay with me. An aggressive pursuit of the dependence on the empowering by the Spirit of God to help us become a people of peace, a people of purpose, and a people of joy. Band, you can come up here. It means that we all need to be healthy. We all need to be listening. We all need to be responsive and active. Now, this is terrifying and exhilarating at the same time. I was saying to someone, if I get on a roller coaster, I want to have the feeling that I could die. 
Like, this could end my life. Like, that's what gets me going about this kind of thing. And most of you know, in, like, in terms of skydiving and scuba diving, the element that is the most exciting for me is this could end me right now. I could be with Jesus. You know what I mean? So win-win, you know? Um, but really... So if that is true, if, if we are to set carefully our faith on three churches planted, two buildings established, 1,000 people coming to faith, if we are to do that, then we can ask, we can dream, we can envision, we can plan, we can work, but it is ultimately through him and for him that this gets accomplished. Paul says to the church, now unto him who is able to do immensely more than all we can ask or think or imagine according to his power at work within us, to him be the glory. Not to us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. We are a rescued people, Mercy Commons. We've been redeemed from the futility of self. We've been given a divine mission to present others the opportunity to taste of the undeserved mercy that has transformed our lives. We've been called to live rebelliously, joyfully, and purposefully. We've been called to live sacrificially and we've been called to take every opportunity to declare the greatness of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called to do this at work, in our homes, in restaurants, in parks. And let's be those whose proclamation of the gospel isn't just on Sunday mornings or in life groups, but in every moment where we labor for the common good of the city that God has called us to bring joy to. Let's make much of Jesus. Let's be the church. Let Jesus be our hope, our vision, our affection, and our joy. Won't you stand with me, please? You are the reason why Nick and Karen came from Johannesburg. You are the reason why they came onto team with us at Southlands. You are the reason why God took this very I love Nick, and so I can tease him. But he was raw and crusty and opinionated. But, but you see, those were not the things that God was looking at. God was looking at this prophetic seed sown into a man and a woman who said yes to Jesus at every turn, whether they would be financed or not, salaried or not. They said yes to a journey of eternal obedience. And I'm saying that in part because I love them, but I'm also saying that because this morning some of you had the prophetic call of God on your life tugged you were 19 at Biola when God tugged your heart and marriage two kids and a mortgage quietened that calling that calling wasn't as compelling anymore as duties responsibilities and obligations began to scream in on you but today I believe by the Spirit of God the loosening of the prophetic essence 
the lampstand that rages in your soul, the calling that is sublime within you that has been hidden by life's challenges and traumas is being loosened and mobilized again. And it seems most appropriate at a moment of high celebration when we come to the meal, the great Eucharist, the sacrament, and we take it and we break it because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took normal bread and he broke it. And I love the symbolism hidden in there because he was exchanging his bro- our brokenness for his wholeness. And you see, you may look at yourself and think there's no way I can do what Nick's doing. There's no way I can do, sorry, I don't know your name, I apologize, with a Y. There's no way I can do those things. But you see, this shouts yes. This shouts yes, that our brokenness is gloriously changed and exchanged for His wholeness. Yes, it's a journey and yes, it's a process, but it's available to anyone who says yes to Him. He specializes in owning your brokenness. If you keep it, He'll let you. But if you surrender it, He'll take you. Standing on the side there, I was compelled by the prophetic stirrings of God today. Loved the story, loved the video, loved Alan, loved all of those things. But there was a deeper, higher essence that God was on about today. And that was loosening you from your roots of a convenience and obligation to a life of cosmic yeses. So I want you to take the bread in a moment of great honesty and vulnerability. And I want you to say, Jesus, I'm giving you my brokenness. Name it quietly, if you wish, if you dare. And I want to exchange it for your wholeness. No longer can I say, and I know Nick, when I say this, he understands. No longer am I the crusty, opinionated, combative, blah, 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 blah. I am the child of the Most High God whose hand is up for an obedience and an adventure and a journey. And that's what I take today. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken. Take it and do it in remembrance of Him. central thing in this room is you, Jesus. Our great Redeemer who loved us way before we even understood love. Offered mercy when we were still living under the darkness of our own sinfulness. Incapable of lifting ourselves up to any higher call. But this wine, this glorious, beautiful wine the blood mysteriously and gloriously exchanged in this moment, the blood of Christ that cleanses me from all my iniquity, great big Bible words, all my transgressions, all my sins, cleanses me. That what I did this morning, last night, this week, you take and you cleanse my mind, my hands, my heart, even my relationships, you cleanse because of the cross and the blood that was shed, so there was no blood left in your glorious body 
all spent for all of our sins, for all of time, cleansing us. So we take with intentional gratitude, cleanse me, O Lord, I am yours. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for us. Drink and do it in remembrance of him. Raver, would you put your hands out like this? Here I am, O Lord, without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me. Once again, Karl Barth said, we always go back to start again. And once again, I hold my hands out to say, do with me as you please. I surrender my life to Thee, Sovereign Lord. Do with me as You please. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.